1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 77th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is using love, power, and justice to solve tough problems. I'm joined by Adam Kahani. He is the author of Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. The publisher is Barrett Kohler Publishers. Adam is the director of Rios Partners, an international social enterprise that helps people move forward together on their most important and intractable issues. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Dan. Okay, well, let's plug in, Chen. What's the overview you can offer us of the book?
0: Well, the book uh, starts from the premise that to deal with the issues we have to deal with in our organizations and communities and world, uh, we need more and better collaboration. We have to find ways to work together, including with people we don't agree with or like or trust. And to do that, we need more and better facilitation. So the book uh, offers a a bigger and broader vision of the role that facilitation can play in uh, moving forward together.
1: Okay, and you've had really a broad range of ways in which you've applied your your skills and what the book is about. Uh, I think listeners will be intrigued to know a bit about uh, all the different instances where you've got to uh, practice your craft. Can you tell us a a few of those?
0: Uh, Well, I got started in uh, this kind of work 30 years ago uh, when I was invited to be a facilitator for a series of meetings in South Africa of people uh, who were trying to figure out how to end apartheid and move to democracy. And the interesting thing is that the group that had been assembled wasn't people from one organization or faction, it was representatives of the whole system, which in the South African case meant uh, black and white, opposition and establishment, left and right, politicians, business people, trade unionists, community leaders. And that experience that it is possible for people to work together uh, uh even if they don't agree with or like or trust each other is uh, was the, the hinge in my life and that's that's what I've been doing all day every day uh in the 30 years since and I've done that uh yeah all over the world in all kinds of contexts on Big issues, small issues uh, in the U.S., in Mexico, uh, in Japan, uh, in India, uh, in Colombia during the civil war, recently in Myanmar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the the common theme is there's people who who need to work together if they're going to deal with what they're trying to deal with, whether it's people in the same organization or uh, in the same community or in the same country. Uh, they may not want to work together, but they need to work together. And so what I've had to figure out through lots of trial and lots of error is how do you do that?
1: Sure. Well, talk about living a remarkable life, uh, a meaningful life, uh, I, I think you've you've accomplished that, and uh, congratulations to you. Uh, I think really on behalf of everyone in this world, because we do need to figure out ways to collaborate more effectively. And in fact, the title of one of your books is called Collaborating with the Enemy. So obviously there's a lot of tension in most of these meetings, and the other one's called Solving Tough Problems. So uh, you haven't chosen a path that comes without uh, any nerves involved. Can you tell us about the other two books briefly and how this one is different from them?
0: Well, uh I just want to say that uh, I haven't chosen a path that's not without challenges but um I think that there's nothing more rewarding in life and, than doing something uh you're good at uh that makes a difference so I don't consider it yep. a hardship at all. Uh the solving tough problems was my first book I thought that this work was essentially all about opening up and connecting to others and connecting to the, the situation more deeply, what I've come to call love. Um, uh, and now I think that that's part of the story, but, but really only part of it. We'll get into that later. Uh, collaborating with the enemy was about this principle that I've mentioned, that uh, sometimes we have to work with people we don't agree with or like or trust. We may not want to. But uh, otherwise, we can't move forward. Uh, and this new book is on the same subject, but it takes another angle, which is not the general principle of collaboration, but very specifically, and even you could say technically, what is it that a facilitator has to do? And by facilitator, I mean anyone, uh, anyone at all who's trying to help people move forward together, whether they're group leaders or group members or executives or consultants or friends or coaches, but what, what does it take as a facilitator? What, what do you have to do? Uh, so that's, that's what this new book's about.
1: Okay. And we'll come to that, those specifics in a moment here, but I'd like to just broaden it a little bit to bring in, I think we're a pretty seminal figure for you, which is Paul Tillich. Uh, he's in fact published a book, called love power and justice and those are three very important terms can you maybe delineate for us what each means and how they together uh form a rubric that allows you to do the work you do
0: yeah i happened upon this uh book by paul Tillich, which has the title you mentioned i didn't uh know about him he was a famous uh german-american protestant existential theologian uh, I wouldn't say I'm really into uh German American Protestant existential <laughs> theology it's not really my my thing but um the reason I've come back to that book over and over is that the definitions he offers of these words uh power love and justice fit exactly with my experience of these phenomena so I'm I'm using his definitions which are a little unusual because I think they they explain what I'm noticing and and working with uh, in the work I do uh he defines love as uh the drive to unite the separated and anytime you have a a meeting or a uh, a project that involves people who haven't been working together and are now in the same room or on the same video call then then you are you're making a love move at least uh to begin with, you're you're bringing together, uh, uh, you're uniting uh, what has been separated. And implicit in Tillich's definition of love is there is a wholeness uh, that exists, but which has been shattered, kind of like a mirror that is shattered into a uh, a bunch of pieces. So that's uh, that's a big deal in in my work collaboration, especially amongst. Uh, people who aren't used to working together, um, of which the extreme case was apartheid South Africa, where people had been legally separated, not allowed to even be in the same room. Uh, uh, that's that's what Tillich calls love. Uh, and that's where I started. But uh, the way I got to Tillich is that one of his most famous students was Martin Luther King Jr. and King quoting Tillich or referring to Tillich said that uh, power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic. So this is what got me to Tillich and to Tillich's definition of power, which is the drive of everything living to realize itself. It's it's more like the the Spanish poder, uh, you know, the capacity to get things done. and. Uh, what I realized is that literally nothing happens without power. You can connect people. uh, You can bring them together as much as you want. But if there's no uh, drive to self-realization of the individual or of the organization or of the group, uh, literally nothing's going to happen. And and we all know what power without love produces, recklessness and abuse at best, genocide at worst. And uh, But this pair of words uh, shows that the equal danger, maybe even the worst danger, because, uh, because it's so easy to overlook, a love without power, uh, sentimental, anemic at best, and uh, at worst, cynically reproducing of the status quo. But I always wondered, what did Tillich mean, or actually King as well, by adding the word justice to this? And it's harder to make out. Uh, but what I the way I understand it is justice is the structure or the form or the the system that allows uh, power and love to be exercised and in particular uh, prevents the power of some from extinguishing the power of others like kneeling on somebody's neck if you want a a graphic example of what injustice looks like so anyway To make a long story short, uh, a very long story, very short, my understanding of the essence of facilitation, of helping people work together, is unblocking not one, not two, but all three of these, these intrinsic drives, the drive to love, the drive to power, and the drive to justice.
1: Well, well. Speaking of power, I remember one point in the book. Uh, I think there's the quip, you know. Oh, sure, I can show you a five point plan, and that's my that's my fist, yeah, uh, bunched together. Because when I when I started reading in the section in the book about love and power, I thought actually of the two principal emotions, the two approach emotions of happiness and anger, because mm. as with love and happiness, you are embracing, you yeah. are opening yourself up to the occasion. And yet anger, although it's often called a a negative emotion, has a constructive purpose. You are trying to make progress. You are trying to have some control of your destiny. You're trying to break through barriers and get to a different place. So used well, both of those emotions, which are very predominant in people, I would say on average in my studies over the past 20 years, those two emotions account for about 70% of the average person's emoting. Hmm. Uh, So they are really huge factors. And if you can harness both of them, you know, it, within the constraints of applying or allowing for or enabling justice, that's very powerful. There's another construct here, which I think is also important. You talk about the vertical versus the horizontal. And I think it's worth taking time to establish that. Do you mind offering some words on that front?
0: Yeah. So um, <clears throat> as I try to unpack uh how do you facilitate? How do you help people collaborate? How do you help people move forward together? I realize that the most common approach to facilitation, uh, the one in most of the textbooks, the way most facilitators try to do this, is what I call vertical, which means there's a hierarchy um, which means the higher over the lower the the boss over the subordinate or the expert over the people who aren't experts, but more fundamentally, it's the hierarchy of the larger over the smaller. So the way this shows up in facilitation is when the facilitator says, yes, yes, I know that you think this is important, or I know that this is important to you, but can we think of the good of the whole of the organization or of the community of the country? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it works well, uh, but it really has a limit. And, uh, the, what, what's good about it is it, 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 uh, produces unity coordination, but, uh, the limit is that, uh, it, it shuts down dissent, uh, and, uh, and important contributions, and important interests, uh, and therefore often leads to people saying yes, 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 I'll, I'll go along, but not really going along, and, and, uh, and so sabotaging or or not 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 actually implementing what is uh, agreed. So that's the most common approach to facilitation. There's another common approach, which is the opposite. I call it the horizontal and a lot of facilitators use it it it's basically rejecting the hierarchy and saying the crucial thing in working together is that everybody's equal uh and and therefore everybody's going to do going to think what they want to think uh and do what they want to do Th- that's also powerful it allows for diversity and agency but the the downside of of horizontality is we is we often end up with fragmentation or polarization or or stuckness. And so when I realized that the most common ways of facilitating are what I call the vertical approach and the horizontal approach I started to wonder what's what would be a way of escaping from those two poles, those two poles in in how to facilitate. And that's what I call transformative facilitation.
1: Okay, and then let's go ahead and and jump into the specifics. How have you devised a way to escape those two poles and get to something else?
0: Well, I've been very influenced uh, by a wonderful writer on, on polarities in general, whose name is Barry Johnson. And he points out that often when there's two poles, the mistake is to think we have to choose one or the other, and he has a beautiful counterexample, which is the 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 poles of inhaling and exhaling. Sure, <laughs> uh, people don't get into big arguments about is is inhaling better or exhaling better. We we got to do both. We don't do them at the same time. First we inhale, and after a while we have to exhale, and after we've exhaled for a while we have to inhale, and the 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 healthy. Productive way of dealing with these poles is to use them both, not compromise between them, not sort of inhale sort of exhale, but to do them both alternately and in essence, this is what I think transformative facilitation is. It says don't choose vertical or horizontal that would be a an error that leads us uh, to a dead end, leads us to stuckness uh, the 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 essence of transformative facilitation is moving back and forth between the vertical and horizontal, Uh, getting good at both of them and doing them alternately as needed.
1: Okay, and you have a lot of very excuse me, very specific uh, things that you've devised over the years, you know, exercises, things to try out. I'm thinking about the shift from plenary sessions to small group sessions, the use of sticky notes, even toy bricks, paired walks, uh, one-minute introductions, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe a couple of those that you could, you know, given the limits of time might want to elucidate a bit or say why they, they are so magical in helping get to the kind of chemistry you need.
0: Uh, yeah, the, the role of the facilitator is, uh, by definition is not to do the work for people, but to help them work together to provide a structure, uh, a structure that enables them to exercise power and love with justice. And so the examples you've given are structures. So for example, uh, to take the simplest example, which is one you mentioned, if we're a new group and we're. Uh, introduce ourselves, and everybody's got one minute, uh, sitting in a circle. Then that's a very specific structure. You could say even quite a rigid structure, but it 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 has a lot of things embedded in it. First of all, that we want to hear from everybody. That the, the that we everybody's voice is equally important. The the worker and the president, uh, 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 the peasant and the CEO. Uh, are equally important that that we need everybody's contribution, and uh, um, uh, and we're connected, sitting in a circle where everybody can see everybody and and hear from everybody. So that's an example. Uh, but let me say this in a different way, uh, because all of these techniques are examples. Uh, I'm happy to um, talk about more of them if any of them are interest in of interest. But they're all examples of a. Something which is really simple, but really not easy, which is as a facilitator, uh, you only have to do 10 things, which I explain in the book. There's only, it's like a It's like a vocabulary that only has 10 words. So it's pretty simple. (laughs) Okay. But the challenge is, uh, they, they don't need to be used in any, uh, predetermined, uh, rhythm. We have to use each exactly when it's needed. And that's the part that's not easy.
1: And I assume you're referring to some words like direct and accompany and conclude and advance, or yes, exactly. different words. Okay. exactly.
0: Those are the ten, the 10 things you need to do to facilitate are uh, the ones you mentioned, uh, inquiring and advocating, advancing and concluding, discovering and mapping, accompanying and directing, and standing inside and standing outside. So it's pretty simple. It's only 10 things, but when you have to do them, that depends above all on, well, what's happening right now and what does the group need to do in order to be able to advance.
1: Sure, and adjusting the moment. I, I love the analogy was made to being an orchestra director, but one also has to remember that you didn't compose the piece, uh, most likely, and you do need to get the best out of everybody and ultimately accept that yours is a facilitating role as opposed to the, the dominant role. Speaking of dominant, uh, it would strike me that Given the vertical versus the horizontal, uh, in a in a company setting where the CEO is accustomed to having the power, and yes, they inhale, they exhale, but they also exhale giving lots of directions and commands. That it can be maybe particularly difficult to move them beyond a, a vertical approach. Um, how do you do that? Is is my assumption correct? Uh, anything you'd like to say about this in a in a business setting? Uh,
0: yes. So uh, for People in positions of authority, like CEOs, like, like me in many contexts, a very comfortable default uh, is the vertical. Uh, or, or you could go further than that. A comfortable default is forcing. Okay, I've listened to all of you, but we're going to do it this way. And yep. I'm not saying that's never a good idea. I'm just saying it, it has limits. And there are times, uh, maybe lots of times, maybe more times than there used to be, where the boss however powerful or smart he or she is uh, can't fix it by themselves or can't fix it just by telling people what to do in those circumstances which is not all circumstances uh we need collaboration and and that involves uh also the horizontal also the principle of equality and i think one one way to 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 imagine this uh, in an organization is to say that, is to do this alternating back and forth between the vertical and horizontal uh, by thinking, okay, well, some of the time we're going to use the vertical. Uh, The the bosses are going to make decisions. Uh, People are going to direct their subordinates. But there's other times when we're going to take off our hats. Uh, We're going to put it, suspend our authority and uh engage everybody horizontally, and not again, not compromising between the vertical and horizontal, but alternating back and forth and so I've seen companies that have that have two kinds of meetings imagine two kinds of rooms: the rooms where we're gonna we're gonna act vertically, and rooms or meetings where we're gonna act horizontally they have different ground rules and huh. and uh And that's how we get the best of both worlds. Rather than just sort of compromising or pretending, I'm going to pretend this is a horizontal meeting where everybody's uh, voice is welcome and everybody's contribution is needed. But if you say anything I don't like, um, I'm going to come down on you like like a ton of bricks. So that's what I'm trying to avoid. That's what King refers to as love without power is sentimental and anemic. How do you get the best of both? Sure.
1: Well, I just recently saw an uh, excerpt from the Mary Tyler Moore show and uh, Lou says to Mary at one point, if you don't like me, you're fired. And if I don't like you, you're fired. (laughs) And it very much establishes that you're in a vertical relationship. One of the things I liked about the book is, you know, very often as I'm reading these, particularly when they're business books, everyone is, I guess I just have to admit it, they can be a bit crowing as to all their accomplishments and nothing goes wrong seemingly. And yet this book is humble because you offer an instance in Manitoba uh, involving the First Nations and sessions that didn't go that smoothly. And maybe in part because my family's from North Dakota and uh, it abutted an Indian reservation and I've spent time uh, on, you know, with the, the Sioux in particular. I was interested in in you offering up to listeners a little about that session and why it was a bit more difficult and probably what your your learnings were from it.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll do so. It was a very uh, impactful uh, event for me. But uh, uh, let me just say before that 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 I think almost everything I've learned has been (laughs) uh, through failure. That I think things are one way, and I act accordingly, and I find myself running into a brick wall, and I eventually pick myself up and wonder what happened. What am I not understanding? So, so uh, I think. actually there's probably 20 times in the book where I talk about I thought it was one way and it isn't and here's, sure, here's how sure. I now understand this but yes the the example in Manitoba was particularly dramatic because uh I worked all over the world and coming back to Canada I thought I uh I thought I knew how things were and what needed to be done and uh that I was a big international expert and um uh, and in that particular occasion, which was a a workshop involving uh, a bunch of First Nations working on on population health issues in in Manitoba, uh, um, George Moosewagon, who was one of the leaders of the group, said to me uh, right at the beginning of the meeting that he didn't trust me, and and this uh, that was. Uh, that was difficult. And I thought I I got scared and I got tense and I thought I was going to be kicked out and I was going to lose the contract. And, um, uh, and, and so that experience, uh, of thinking I knew what needed to be done and thinking that I was from outside and would be respected because I was from outside And finding that wasn't so was a very big learning in the following sense, that it was because I was acting as an outs, not just as a know-it-all, but as a know-it-all outsider that George said he didn't trust me. And what he wanted me to understand, and I did, he knocked me hard enough on the head, I normally get it, (laughs) uh, was that no, Adam, you're not an outsider. Uh, In fact, he referred you as a settler at one point, I believe. Yeah. Well, just like, uh, uh, whites in South Africa, uh, where I had my first experience were called settlers. So are, uh, non-indigenous people in Canada. And so what he, I think what he wanted me to understand is I wasn't apart from outside of the situation we are working with. I was, yeah. uh, I was part of it and I needed to, to act accordingly, which I did. And, uh, things, uh, went quite well. uh Eventually, not just with the participants, but with the the team of facilitators that included both both first nations and and uh, and settler facilitators. so in a way that's the the reason that's the last chapter in the book is because that's the most fundamental point of all. If you're trying to help make things better, the most fundamental question is, do you see yourself only apart from or also part of the situation—it's like the person who calls uh, home from their car and says, "I'm going to be late because I'm in traffic," versus, "I'm going to be late because I am traffic." Yeah. So, anyway, that's the that's the the last of the five polarities, having to both stand outside and stand inside. So that's the exhaling and inhaling of the the fifth point.
1: Sure. No, I I thought it was very powerful and a nice way to conclude the book. And I thought it uh, played nicely on an earlier quote you have from Eisenhower, Dwight Eisenhower, the former president, who says, plans are worthless, but planning is everything uh, because the experiences will leave you humble and they'll remind you of the need to to be adaptive uh, to the circumstances you suddenly find yourself in. So I want to thank you, Adam, so much for being on the program. This has been episode number 77 of Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, my guest, Adam Kahani. He is the author of a very important book called Facilitating Breakthrough How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's.sensorylogic.com or go to the New Books Network, type in the show's name. And you'll find the other guests I've had over the past year and change. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I reached out for one from Roseanne Cash, who said, the key to change is to let go of fear. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.